Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. Nitin, I know I don't even need to ask you, but how are you doing, man? It's been a tough couple hours. I'm literally at Best Buy. Shout out to Best Buy, uh, a relic of, of times past. Actually, last time Best Buy was a big deal. John Wall was a big deal as well. And I'm picking up this TV we ordered, and I'm getting into my car, and all of a sudden my phone goes fucking bonkers. Um, the last time this happened for NBA-related news was actually you know, the Kobe passing tragically, and I... And it's so weird because we actually ended the last episode we recorded before Thanksgiving, you know, trying to figure out who was the biggest name that was going to be dealt. And if you remember, we couldn't get past Wall versus Westbrook. It seemed like the only thing that was on the table. Um, and then, the you know, the Wizards came out. Tommy Shepard, the GM, came out and said it wasn't going to happen. He sort of smoothed things over. And it was like, OK, better for better or worse, we're just going to go into the season and try to make it work and uh you know on the eve of training camp opening up it looks like it wasn't meant to be and 10 years later uh he's going to be playing in a different jersey for the first time in his career yeah we, we talked about this and it actually happened but before we get into the basketball aspect i want just talk to me about what what wall meant to you because you know one thing that i found interesting i know you i've known you for a while now and i know how big of a wizards fan you are how big of a wall fan you are I didn't realize that people in the Twitterverse, uh, you know, Wizards fans, like how strongly they felt and how much yeah. of a bond everyone really felt to him. I thought it was just one of your irrational loves for for a guy who's never been, you know, he's always been a star, a superstar, but never like yeah. an all-time talent. So just just talk to me about what kind of what was going through your mind in terms of yeah. um, all this going down. So I think it's kind of what you said, right? As a national media or national fan base, I don't think anyone truly understand understood what Wall meant to the DC community. And there's a number of reasons for that, right? So the number one thing I would say is in some ways he represented the imperfection of that area and that region and like everything that goes down in Washington. He had great moments. He had down moments. He was, it wasn't like, Things were awesome for eight years and then it blew up. It was up and down the entirety of his tenure in D.C. And in some ways that brought the fan base closer to him because despite it all, he never wavered in terms of his commitment, his loyalty, his desire to play in D.C. Um, he never wanted to find greener pastures. He was never interested in recruiting stars and free agency. He just wanted to build it homegrown. And it was it was a it was a, you know, fool's errand in some ways, right? Given what Grunfeld had built, given what Randy Whitman and Scott Brooks had done to the team, the lack of talent around Wall. But it was such a endearing quality because in some ways, you know, DC might be considered, you know, an elitist, East Coast elitist city in, in some parts of the country. But from a basketball perspective, it was almost like a small market team. Uh, this was a team that hadn't won 50 games and still hasn't won 50 games since 1979. You know, the last championship was 1978. They haven't played in a conference final since then. Um, and so when you think about the lineage of the last 40 years, which by all intents and purposes is the true era of Wizards basketball, right? Like nobody's waxing poetic about Wes Unseld and Elvin Hayes, um, you know, taking it to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like that's not relevant in today's in today's world. And so when you think about that, Wall was the greatest player in franchise history, in modern franchise history. And because he was imperfect and because he 
didn't get the national adulation that you see of other stars of similar talent and similar ability and accomplishments, it created a chip on all of our collective shoulders, right? How many times have I argued and yelled at you and yelled with you about Kyrie versus Wall, right? I'll do, I did it. I spent countless amounts of my breath and time just trying to fight that battle, figuring out every way to, uh, you know, slice and dice basketball reference data to make it show what I wanted it to show. And I think in a lot of ways, Wall himself, aside from the holes in his game, he never understood what it meant to become a national star, right? He never understood what it meant to capitalize on big shoe deals, to create, uh, you know, uh, commercials and, and sort of like that public persona. He was very raw and real. And I think that was what was one of the reasons people in D.C. loved him, which at, at its core is an authentic city beyond all the politics and other bullshit is, you know, it's a predominantly black city. It's a predominantly like uh, blue collar city in a lot of ways that people don't realize. And he resonated with that. But he also didn't do the things that you need to do to get to that national stage and reach that level of prominence. And this is off the court too, right? So, you know, things that you wouldn't see a Dame Lillard do, things that you wouldn't see like some of these guys do, but that imperfection was actually the biggest reason he was beloved in DC. You know, there's the community stuff and he went above and beyond to make it his home. And all of those things are, are, are things that people love to think back to and love to give him his, his, his deserved props for. Um, but, you know, we went as he went and we never actually have went as far as he took us. And even though, you know, you can clown it, you can laugh it like we're talking about it. his biggest moment was game six in a series we lost in the Eastern Conference semifinals. That was truly the biggest moment in his career. That means nothing if you're a Spurs fan or if you're a Lakers fan or whoever. But as a Wizards fan, that's literally in most people's lives that are Wizards fans. That's the biggest moment. So all you can compare is to what you have in the past. And I think. Wall brought us from a very dark era, from the post-Arenas uh, Gungate situation. He he took on a lot of burden on his shoulders, was surrounded for those first few years before Beal became who he is now with one of the worst teams in, in the NBA. And all we have to show for it is an Achilles injury, a tough divorce, and suddenly we don't get to we don't get the the rebuild. We don't get the comeback. We have to watch that happen in a different jersey. And, you know, there's a basketball element to it, too. But it's kind of just sad that it, it went this route when, like you said, as the number one pick in 2010, the de facto number one pick, by the way, this wasn't a controversial decision. There was an expectation of greatness. There was a chance and a taste of greatness. And we always fell a little bit short. Wall's career is definitely interesting in that sense, because, as you mentioned, he was so hyped coming out of high school. It, I still I still think it was the it's the best high school mixtape I've ever seen outside of LeBron um, of, of anyone coming in, into uh, yeah. college. And then obviously he played at Kentucky. He had the high profile, you know, college appearance. I mean, they didn't go far, uh, but it was under Calipari, obviously unanimous kind of choice at number one um, in that draft. But then, and, and he's been a good player. He's made all-star teams. He's made, has he made an all-NBA team maybe once? He made one. He made yeah. one in 2017. And, uh, you know, he's made playoff appearances. But for some reason, he's never gotten the credit or the kind of adulation, like you said, that a guy like Kyrie has. And, and yes, Kyrie won a title in 2016. But even before that, Kyrie was, was locking up a shoe deal and, you know, getting some of that national prominence. And Uncle Drew, all that started before LeBron even got there. Um yeah. And and Wall never got that credit. And and one thing I I kind of feel bad about for Wall too is that we talk too we talk too much about contracts these days. 
And yeah. the the NBA media and the blogosphere were always valuating players based on their contract value. Like we forget what talent players have sometimes because we're so busy talking about the the cap impact they have and the the, the how they're strapping their team um, yep. and devoting them of any flexibility, right? And so Wall, I think in the last couple of years, terrible Achilles injury, um, and obviously this humongous contract. And it's it's unfortunate that that's what he's become known as. Like all the conversations around John Wall the last couple of years, no one's talking right. about what he might look like when he comes back on the court. People are thinking about what are the Wizards going to do with that contract. And, right. and I think it's something that I hate that's going on in the NBA in general is that we forget about the caliber of player and about what they they can bring to the table, and we're so fixated on that that price point. Um, yeah. So we've also we've also become too scientific with the way we analyze basketball, right? And one of the reasons, frankly, you know, Russell Westbrook, the other side of this trade, gets so much hate from guys who who are just like, oh, it's triple doubles. Well, he just shoots a lot. And you kind of like ignore some of the impact that he has because you strictly look at shooting percentages. You strictly look at like, here are the five things I expect in any good basketball player. As long as you check four or five, your ace is in my book. and Everyone else can fuck off, right? Like that's almost the way we analyze the game. Now we don't allow for different archetypes of players. We don't allow for value being added in maybe non-traditional methods. And I think Wall suffered from that almost as much as anyone. I mean, on top of everything you said with the injuries and with this contract that he clearly hasn't lived up to nor has he really had a chance to live up to um and you know i think it's unfortunate because it really it, it, it creates it's it's too destructive of a way to look at the game it, it marginalizes a lot of guys who don't do what you expect them to do and it falls into this notion that we've just become the twitter groupthink era right where if somebody says something therefore everyone must agree because this particular stat proves that true and i'm not going to watch the game i'm not going to talk to anyone i'm not going to research anything beyond this is the page i'm looking at and these are what the numbers indicate and i think you know, that's one of the reasons why Westbrook, who, while making an All-NBA this very past season, is clowned as much as he is, which I think is interesting because there's clearly a disconnect between some of those voters as well as maybe the new age ways uh, of analyzing basketball. But, you know, I think with Wall, there's there's a couple of factors, right? The first is one of the things that was very frustrating, I think, for Wizards fans is he never quite got it. He never wanted enough to be elite in the way that you see even take his future teammate James Harden wanted to be elite right and we we give James Harden shit for loafing and all that stuff but when you factor in the durability the new skill sets he would bring every year the fact that he would go out and guarantee you give you a chance to win 55 games be a top five out like Wall never figured out how to unlock that level of his game nor did he ever seem to care his whole defense was like look at all these things I do well why do I still get criticism but he didn't realize that the way to get better is not to worry about what the Skip Baylesses of the world say it's what to worry about like what's Dame Lillard doing what's Chris Paul doing what's Steph Curry doing how can I get to that level and what do they have in their games that I don't have he never kind of like had that desire or you know maybe the teammates weren't right there's a number of factors but I think that's the thing that leaves us wanting the most in a lot of ways because the talent was there right the work ethic was not and I think that was that's super frustrating but at the end of the day he's our guy right like for better or worse it's almost like that person in your family their sibling whoever that's like crazy talented but doesn't always get to its potential you can call him out. You can talk shit about him. But the second someone from your family says something, you're stepping up, right? You're just like, I don't want to hear that. You don't know what you're talking about. 
And it felt that way with Wall more than like any player I can remember in my rooting history. Yeah, and and, and that's the disappointing thing about Wall because he he hasn't. I, I don't think he's really materially improved any part of his game. I guess his three point shot became somewhat passable, um, but every aspect of his game, yeah, it got a little bit better, but. He was still a player who relied you know, heavily on his, his passing instincts, which have been there since he joined the league. His athleticism, um, you know, decent scoring ability, but he's never taken the next step as all these other guards have. And every other guard, I, I think, has really defined an elite skill for themselves. You think about Dame Lillard, you think about Kyrie Irving. Um, but Wall is, is, I mean, he's an elite passer. passer. I mean, is, that, yeah. is that a skill? But I don't think that... I didn't see as much improvement uh, watching him. And maybe, you know, I don't watch as much wall as you do, but no, he didn't seem to make the, the huge leaps that you see some other players making. When you think about him in 2010 or 2011, 2012 to, you know, 2017, 2018, I think he became a much better player, but he never became really elite in any aspect. Yeah. It was incremental improvement rather than like, Hey, I'm going to go work on this weakness and make it my strength. Um, he had one season where he made second team all defense and he deserved it that year. Every season after that. Now, I know he had some very painful injuries that he played through, played through, including the bone spurs that would re- really have knocked a lot of guys out by all reports. But the loafing, the dying on screens, the, you know, calling out your teammates versus contesting shots. Some of those bad habits started to materialize. And I think. You know, there's some guys in basketball who like to be superstars more than they like to be Hall of Famers, if that makes sense. And they like yep. everything that comes with being that tier of player. And I felt like Wall was one of those guys. And look, we're not going to get into the clubbing and all that bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. whatever. Every player goes out. But there was an element of Wall I always felt like, like to me, if you take a guy like Giannis, right? Giannis has pretty big warts in his game. He's also a two-time MVP and a defensive player of the year. Like, he's a Hall of Famer today. And he's working tirelessly to get better. And I'm not saying that he will, right? I'm not saying he's going to come back and be a 37% three-point shooter or whatever it may be. But the mentality is to say, I'm not satisfied because I haven't reached any type of pinnacle, right? And And I never felt like Wall felt like he was still on the uphill. And I think unless you're always feeling like you're climbing it's tough to unlock everything that you have or you you know you could potentially bring the game um and there's a lot of reasons to be frustrated by him right over the years like why didn't he develop a post game why didn't he develop a reliable outside shot why couldn't he break guys off the dribble with anything other than his speed um you know as far as as fast as a ball handle he was he didn't have that tight of an actual handle like there, you know whatever there's a number of things you can get into i think what makes us most the most sad though out of everything is really we were with this dude through everything like i said it was not all roses right imagine this imagine the warriors were terrible in the next year or two, and they decided to trade Steph, Clay, and Dre and break it up. There's a peaceful end to that because there was so much happiness and peace throughout the real part of the journey. Five finals appearances, three titles, et cetera, et cetera. In DC, it's been so many ups and downs, even when he was healthy, even when he was in his youthful prime, that we never got any closure with how the story ended. Um, we never had anything to hang our hat on and say that was the John Wall experience or that's what, you know, that number one pick played out to. It was a lot of 
shoulda, woulda, couldas. It was a lot of why the fuck is Ernie Grunfeld our GM? It was a lot of why won't Wall work harder in the offseason? Why does he show up 15 pounds over, overweight? And because of that, it's such an odd, bittersweet feeling right now um, because – you know, and I'm on Twitter, like you said, there's people who are freaking out. There's people who are legitimately hurt, as I am. You know, from a basketball standpoint, is this improvement? I would say yes. I'm curious for your thoughts later in terms of the fit with Beal and all those kind of things. But at that point, it, it feels secondary in some senses right now. Yeah, it, it, I think what you said about the Warriors, too, it, when you don't have that kind of success and you play several years for a team that just is not good – it's always unceremonious. Like the DeMarcus Cousins and the Kings, I think is the mm-hmm. closest parallel I can think of. Now, Cousins, um, the city loved him. Cousins loved Sacramento. The, the issue with Cousins wasn't loafing or talent. It was purely attitude and inability to change that attitude, which never changed. But, you know, all of a sudden one day he's traded for Buddy Heald and um, the first round pick. And you're like, and that's it. There's no send off. There's no, you know, yeah. big kind of hoopla over it. And, and I think that's just what happens when you're a, on a smaller market team or a team that doesn't matter as much and you're never good. That It just ends like that. Like, um, yeah. But it's hard. It's hard to process. It's hard to think. And, yeah, of course, your your mind's thinking, oh, we, we're going to be better because of X, Y, Z reasons. That was the right move. But, I mean, this is a guy you've tied your horse to for 10 years. Um, yeah, for better or and, worse, and, right? And, and look, the, the NBA, it's getting increasingly rare that that happens. Like how many players from 2010 are on their current teams today? I would say so there's zero except Wall and now not Wall. So, in fact, Wall is the third longest tenured player. Yeah. First, I'm not even counting. It's Udonis Haslam, right? Yeah. He doesn't play, <laughs> but he's still back. Actually, yeah. Miami re-signed him. Second is Steph, and third is Wall. Yeah, there you go. I was going to say maybe three or four guys, and, and you're, yeah, three yeah. guys. So, um, that, it's tough, man. It's tough. And, uh, like, I don't know. Like, what – but, yeah. I, I mean, let's maybe go to the basketball side of things, unless you have anything else to add on, on Wall in general. The only thing I would quickly add there, one thing I wanted to add is, like, by all accounts, by reporting that's come out, it sounds like this was Ted Leonsis, the owner's decision. Um, I don't think Tommy Shepard was actually in, trying to trade him right now. I, I think from a basketball value standpoint, like, you would never trade an asset at its lowest point, right? He literally hasn't played in two full years. Like, he last played, I think, December 27th, 2018, so almost exactly to the day. And so you got to really think, okay, why would we get rid of this guy who's got three years of Superbacks money left, who's not played in two seasons, and expect anything of value? Um, and to Shepard's credit, he actually got a pretty good deal. It's a it's a heavily protected pick that's likely not going to convert into anything crazy. Um, and he got a, essentially a straight swap with Westbrook. But I think he was planning on waiting, right? He was planning on waiting. If he looked good, maybe Utah's like, he's the guy we need. Flip him for Mike Conley or or. The L.A. Clippers are like, hey, we might need to upgrade point guard because nobody's able to get the ball to Kawhi, whatever it is, right? And I think Ted was really, really disappointed by that gang sign video that came out because it's kind of like, dude, you're 30, you have two kids. Like, at this point, there needs to be a level of maturity. And I think Wall – and look, this is there's going to be racial undertones in the way people analyze this because there's people already who are like, hold on a second. The guy threw up gang signs in a playoff game in 2016 we're gonna, or 2017. We're going to suddenly care about it now. 
But look, you're at a different stage of your life. You're at a different stage of your career. You have a different expectation after the franchise has made that kind of financial commitment to you. I'm sorry. You can say we're whitewashing the way people need to act, but this is the business world and this has been the expectation for a while. And I agree that it's not always fair. I agree it's not always equitable in the way we expect people to react and act about things. But there's a difference between bringing in cultural uh, of any variety, cultural norms and cost, uh, you know certain ethnic behaviors or whatever from me as an Indian person or whoever versus doing something in midst of a global pandemic, putting that video out, right? Whatever yep. you think about it, Ted thought it was really bad, right? And Ted was apparently really furious about it. And I think he ultimately said, look, this is the decision that we're going to make. Now, is that fair? No, probably not. Was he being unfairly judged and maybe all the community work he was done was it being ignored? To some degree, but at the same time, this is on top of everything else. This is on top of the two-year absence, on top of the $133 million owed, on top of the fact that him and Bradley Beal have always had this uneasy relationship. So I think it was the, it was the straw that uh, you know broke the camel's back, but by no means was it a, a single act. I just think the timing of it was driven entirely by Ted Leonsis. And that, that is the most disappointing thing about Wall, though. It's not, not the gang signs. Like, look, I, I get there's a lot of racial undertones around the criticisms that, that come out about stuff like that, which I, I don't agree with. But um, right. but you're right. There's a maturity. Like, forget about if it's gang signs or it's about not being in shape at the offseason. And we used to joke, remember, like, this is back at Booth. We used to joke about how uh, I'd show you a pic of him in his like, yeah, belly would, like, like June or July print a picture um, from his like, IG. And like, dude, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, this guy's not hitting the gym. Like, what's going on? And, but that was a story every offseason. He's um, you know, he's busy. He's not, there was some sense of maturity that he never really developed. Like he's a very mature guy. He, he says the right things. He, he's uh, great in the community. Like he's a yeah. family man. I get all that. But at a certain point, you got to let some of the other things go. Um, and I think that that work ethic to get better. And then also some of the stuff, the gang sign stuff, it's like, look, even if it, there's nothing wrong with it, you know, better than to keep doing it at this point in your career, like just yeah. let it go. And and I don't blame the Wizards for kind of realizing that it's it's time. Um, and like you said, there's there's plenty of reasons. And at some point, you got to pull the trigger. And you know what? Like this might be the time because if he does play, like, is he really going to increase his value that much? Maybe not. And how rare is it to get a one for one swap in the NBA? Usually, you're trading a superstar for, uh, you know, a dollar for for a couple of quarters, right, or whatever. Yeah. Um, you're not getting back star for star value and right. and i've got a lot of problems with westbrook and things like that but ultimately i think this was solid what they came out with and with the protections on that first round pick yeah i don't think it's bad so that was a big question right like the protections on the pick i mean originally they were asking for thomas bryant that was the original rumor from like two weeks ago when this first got reported um and the wizards were not uh, interested in budging there. So it looked like the deal was actually dead. And I think one of the reasons it kind of felt like it was not as, I mean, dude, I was shocked tonight. I was legitimately sad, but in a weird way, we were prepped for this from a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. But then I got lulled into thinking that it wasn't going to happen. But anyway, the first round pick is interesting because 2023 is probably going to be in a post Beal world, right? Beal's contract runs through 2022. Westbrook's runs through 2023. And so you're really looking at the fact that they're going to be pretty much in a rebuild or Rui or Denny or someone's going to turn into a star and suddenly Beal wants to stay. Unlikely. So 
The big thing is if you're going to give up a pick that late, this is the same conundrum that the Clippers faced in the Paul George trade where they gave up a bunch of 2025 and later picks and same with uh, the Lakers in the Anthony Davis trade. But with those protections, if they do want to tank, they're still going to be okay to keep that pick. So unless they're a playoff team, they're not giving it up, which I think is huge. Yeah, it's definitely big. Um, And so, you know, when you look at it, you take the pick out of the equation, given that it's not going to have that big of an impact. And it's a star for star swap. Now, here's what I will say. I think this is a win-win for both teams, actually. Um, I don't I'm not as high on Westbrook as everyone else is. Everyone's saying Westbrook now makes the Wizards a playoff team. I think if Wall came back healthy, the Wizards were a playoff right. team. It's not like Westbrook's doing something Wall couldn't have. The big question mark, obviously, was how does he come back off that Achilles? I I really wanted to see what the Wizards could have done with Wall. I wanted to see him come back. Um I know they've run the wall Beal thing back too many times, and it was it was yeah. time to get over that. But I didn't. I mean, I, I actually had hope for Wall coming back and still being a solid player. And then, given the other pieces you have on the roster, there's some promising talent, like you said, Rui, Thomas Bryant. Um, who did you guys draft again? You got drafted Denny, right? Denny, um, yeah, Denny Abdia. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to see you run back in the Wizards. You know, they could have been a frisky team in the playoffs. The Westbrook thing to me. I know we are we've gone the other way and we are too hard on him now, but I I just don't see how he's going to. I don't see the fit with Beal that well, honestly. Yeah. Um, everyone says I mean, it's going to work perfectly, but I I don't. I think Wall was a better partner for Beal. Um, yeah, but I think, I think I'm there's one a of the fair amount of doubters out there when you look at Westbrook's usage, right? Like he still at this age at this stage of his career, he still wants to be the guy. That's why it didn't work in in. In Houston, and frankly, even though Beal is maybe not as prolific of a scorer as Harden, he's not that far behind, right? He was second in the league in scoring, and Harden was first. So it's going to be similar problems. But let me ask you this. Do you think all things considered, fit, personalities, whatever, do you think Westbrook is marginally – and you have to really – this is a tough question to answer, right? Because we don't know what version of Wall is coming back. It's been so long since we've seen him. Yep. But do you think Westbrook is a upgrade or downgrade from Wall as a player? Uh, you're assuming healthy Wall or not healthy? Healthy Wall, wall but like post-Achilles Wall. And so what that means, I don't know. It's a little bit he's, of a gray He's area. probably a slight upgrade. Yeah, he's a slight upgrade. Right. But, but I mean, so I, I still think it's a win for the Wizards. I, I just think that um, – yeah. I don't know. There's some sentiment attached to it. Like it's hard to let go of a guy who's been with your franchise for so long, who you paid that much money, but it's, it's a sunk cost, right? At this point, you can't worry about what you were committing to him or what you wanted to do with him. Um, the opportunity is here. The risk is now there's no risk. There's no worry about what if wall doesn't come back hundred percent because the, the fear is if wall came back at 40, 50% his trade value shot. And then what are you left with? You're left with, a guy like, um, like, look at Demarcus, right? Where he is now yeah. just his his value is completely gone, and he's not the same guy. And so the Wizards right. came out with a, a great asset. Forget the contract in terms of just player and all NBA talent. They came out with something great. So you you can't kind of harp on them for that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that uh, the reality is. I've always been stumping for why don't you just let him keep playing and play his value up. But to your point, there's literally no guarantee of that. He could get hurt. He could look slow. He could look like he doesn't have it. I don't care what these pickup games, these Instagram videos show. Like at the end of the day, like you got to do it within the lines of where it actually counts. And, you know, 
everybody's going to say he looks great. This is what we do every offseason about anyone coming back from an injury, right? And there's really not a great track record from this injury compared to everyone else. Like ACL, yes. Microfracture, even to some degrees, yes. Like shoulder, ankle, whatever. We just have not seen it from the Achilles yet. And Kevin Durant's are probably our best test case in terms of, you know, a player of his stature has never torn his Achilles in the prime of his career the way Durant did. Like Isaiah Thomas did it towards the tail end. Dominique Wilkins did it towards the tail end. And then the other guys that are really notable, like Rudy Gay and, you know, Wesley Matthews, those are tier three, tier four players. So Durant will be a fascinating test case. Wall will be too. But I think my point is I agree with you that it doesn't move the needle all that much. I just think given that it moves it at all positively, if we both agree with that, then what they're trying to do in the interim, which is show Beal they're committed to winning and show Beal that they can be a consistent playoff team, then you make this trade, right? Even if they go from the seven seed to the six seed or from, you know, I don't know what the prorated number is on 72 games, but let's say out of 82, let's say they go from a 43-win team to a 47-win team, whatever. You make that move because your goal, if you're not going to trade Beal, which they're very clearly not going to do at this point, is to make the playoffs and is to be as good as possible. Uh, So sentiment aside, if you think Westbrook is an upgrade, um, you make that deal, right? And I think people, you know, I would say people are crushing the deal to some degree um, because the affinity for Wall, the love for Wall, but also because of Westbrook's ball dominant style, right? Like his usage. I mean, you look at his last three playoffs, he's shooting a combined under 40% from the field. It's really bad. And how much of that is because he played in the West? I don't know. It's first round matchup. It's not like he's going against like, you know, Curry's Warriors, right? Like how much is that because he's just forcing the issue on bad teams? Well, he played with Harden. He played with Paul George, you know, so he has had some talent around him. That's the concern for me. But it's almost like let's cross that bridge when we get there, because the first and foremost, he's going to play hard every night in the regular season. And that's something we couldn't always count on from Wall, which means rather than going into like Detroit and losing by eight because, you know, you were just loafing through a game. Those are some of the wins that we're going to start picking up because at least we're putting out like a, a good effort on the floor. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. And I think. Look, at the end of the day, like you said, you had to commit. There were two paths for the Wizards. One was you keep Beal and rebuild around him, put together a winning product around him because he's in his prime. The other option was blow it all up. By keeping Wall, you're straddling this weird area where Beal might not be happy, but you're still not bad enough to blow it up. And so I think this was, if you had to commit to a path and you chose the path where you want to keep Beal and build, or keep Beal and build around Beal, then this was the right move. So uh, it'll be interesting, man. They're going to be fun to watch. At the very least, you you know, I, I know you're going to miss Wall, but it's going to be really fun to watch the Wiz night in and night out. So one of the things, and I don't know how many minutes we're in on this podcast, like weeping about Wall, but I appreciate you uh, humoring me here. But one of the things we have yet to mention, which is going to be amazing, is Boogie and Wall finally reunited. Yep. Yep. We've been begging for this in D.C. for, I think, you know, Boogie's contract, so that's 2013-2014 when Boogie was kind of weighing that next deal in Sacramento. We've been begging for this since then, and it's finally going to happen. Two Achilles, an ACL, a Bowen Spurs, <laughs> uh, you know, multiple trades later, we're finally getting Boogie and Wall together. Um, 
So quickly on Houston, do you think they keep Harden and this is a new way to placate him because clearly it wasn't working with Russ? Or do you think they still plan on moving him because there's no way he thinks their ceiling is any different than it was before, if if not lower? I have no idea. Uh, I have no idea because they're playing both sides. I mean, look, they, they got rid of a lot of that core um, or some of the pieces of that core, like Covington and, and Pete. And, you know, they obviously chose Paul Silas, who I apparently Harden's not a fan of, wasn't a fan of that coaching hire. But at the same time, they're, they're getting a guy like Paul, which Silas, seems like it's a move to appease Harden. Huh? Steve, I think it's Steven Silas, right? Paul Silas is like his oh, dad. Oh, sorry, Steven Silas. Paul <laughs> that was like LeBron's first coach, right, back in 2003. Yeah, yeah. Yep, he used to coach the Hornets, too. Um, yeah, I... So I don't know, actually. I have no idea what Houston's doing. I have no idea what Harden's doing. I follow Harden on Instagram. I, you know, He's pretty low-key, too. I don't even know what his thoughts are. Um, I haven't seen him in the gym or anything with any of the Rockets either. So I I don't know. I, but I think Houston might be trying to say, look, let's take one more shot. Let's not get rid of him right away. Let's see how this wall thing plays out. At least you know run it for a, half the season and then and then go from there. Well, so I think it's interesting, right, because Harden, like I said, is a top five offense onto himself. And he feels like if he feels like Wall's a better fit, um, then maybe there's a way and this works a little bit better than it did with Westbrook. Now, they lost to the Lakers in five games, but they were competitive in a few. They won game one. How far off are they from that ceiling of at least a conference finals berth? Maybe it's in the cards, right? And I know the rest of the West got a lot stronger, but, you know. Now I come back to thinking about this Robert Covington trade, right? Because they traded Robert Covington for a reason to first, essentially to clear cap and build some assets back up after they lost a bunch with the Chris Paul trade. But you only do that if you're ready to rebuild. You kind of don't yeah, do that. That's so, the weird part. They're straddling both kind of lanes. I don't know if they've made up their mind on which one they want to go with. Right. And you still have a little bit of talent left, right? You have... Gordon, Tucker, Harden, Wall, and Christian Wood essentially are going to be the starters. You know, they just signed him for that three for 41 deal. It's That's okay. But then their bench is, I mean, it's a dumpster fire. It's <laughs> Daniel House, Ben, Not I'm looking at their roster right now. Daniel House, Ben McLemore, um, Sterling Brown. Oh, they signed Gerald Green. DeMarcus Cousins, of course. I mean, Bruno Caboclo. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing, but as long as you have James Harden, you're going to be very good. So, like you said, maybe they're 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 like, look, Harden's got two years left plus this one, right? So why rush this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why not just see it for thirty games and we can trade him? Harden's value is not going to decline between now and February. He's going to be as good of a player as he was yeah. now as he will be then. So. What's the reason to rush this? And if the deals don't get better than that shit platter that Brooklyn's offering, then maybe we can consider it. But until then, I mean, do you need Spencer Dinwiddie tomorrow or can you wait, right? So mm-hmm. I think I think that might be the suggestion. I mean, but look, they said they're uncomfortable going – they're okay being uncomfortable and then they immediately traded Westbrook. So I don't really know what's <laughs> what. And we said that we weren't trading Wall a week ago. So who knows? Uh, yeah. I don't know if there's still dominoes to fall. I mean, we're like literally training camp is, is here pretty much, right? The preseason starts yeah. in what, a couple weeks? 
in a week? I don't next even know. Saturday, like, next Saturday, next Saturday, so, season starts. I don't know if there's still moves to happen or not, or if like at this point we're just kind of these are the teams. Um, it, it's all happening too fast. Well, we actually took last but, week off because we didn't know how things were oh, going to settle. It was Thanksgiving, right? And in a way, I was about to text you and be like, I guess we could have just recorded because it is what it is. And <laughs> now this news yeah. drops. Yeah, I do want to say one final thing about Wall. Um, I, I don't know if I've told the Wall in and out story uh, on this, on the pod. I'm not going to go into it. But I do want to just remind our listeners that um, I actually used to be one of the biggest Wall stands in college, Um in high school, I loved him in high school, loved him at Kentucky. He was on the background of my phone, my phone wallpaper back when I don't know why I had an athlete as my phone wallpaper, but um, you know, that's I love John Wall. And then I got to meet my idol at In N Out in, in LA. Um, this is before this is after his freshman season, but before he got drafted. And I've never been disrespected so hard by uh <laughs> anyone in my life where he barely acknowledged me, even though I was clearly talking to him. So, you know, in a, in an alternate universe, Nathan, if I didn't meet him, he would have been, I would have had his jersey. You know, there would have been more tears shed on this podcast. But unfortunately, it didn't break that way. Um, and I still have some ill feelings and resentment towards him. Um, I think you probably said something disrespectful first. Uh, but look, it ties back to either you know how to play the game sometimes or you don't. And uh, I love John Wall. I'm wearing a John Wall jersey right now. Um, he's my guy. He's my favorite player. I, I would go as far as to say he's my favorite player in any sport of all time. Um, wow. Be- because, you know, I've had idols, right? Michael Jordan, Jerry Rice, uh, Tracy McGrady, Gilbert Arenas, Kevin, Gar- Kevin Durant. Like, I've, those are probably some of my favorite athletes ever. Alex, Ove- Alex Ovechkin. But I think as an adult, you know, graduating college in 2011, Wall was drafted in 2010. It was really my adult life as a Wizards fan was yep. his career in D.C. And we grew with him. We matured with him. or Well, we matured and he was still <laughs> playing. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm more of a moron than he is. So I, I love the dude. I mean, look, it's almost like in a week, in two weeks when the season starts and I see how it's gelling, maybe I'm going to sing a different tune. I really, really wish that. Good trade, bad trade aside, I really wish we could have just seen him make that comeback in a, you know, in a Wizards jersey in D.C. Because I think that would have been special and in some ways like a, at least a somewhat of a fitting conclusion for an epic decade of of us being, you know, Wall and the Wizards and D.C. being inextricably linked. Epic's an interesting way to describe it, but sure. Yeah, <laughs> epic decade. Well, you didn't like that uh, 4-2 loss to Indiana in 2015's <laughs> semifinals? Um, but, all right, I'm sure we're going to talk about this a bunch more. Like, we're obviously going to, uh, you know, be able to opine on what these teams look like, and I'm really excited. I wanted to – let's jump around the league a little bit. Like, let's talk, you know, about some of the other uh, – free agency, draft, all those trade activity that that have changed some other rosters. I think this is clearly the biggest move in terms of uh, notoriety of the player. But um, I want to start in Atlanta, which is another team like the Wizards who are vying for that 7, 8, 9, 10, that play-in tournament, but really being part of the playoffs uh, rotation or playoff set. So Atlanta drafted Onyeo Okongwu, right, the, the big from USC, 
Then they go into free agency with a ton of cap room, and they come out with Gallinari, Bogdan Bogdanovich after the Milwaukee fiasco fell through, um, Chris Dunn, and Rajon Rondo. A lot of pieces to add to what they already had, which is an all-star in Trey Young, a really promising big man in John Collins, the big they traded for last year, Clint Capella, plus two, two guys they drafted in the top 10 in last year's draft, Cam Reddish and um, DeAndre Hunter, as well as Kevin Herter. So what is going on in Atlanta? How did you feel about these moves? And do you think this is going to translate the way I think they foresee this, which is really competing for that seven spot and then it definitely being a playoff team? I, okay, look, everyone has been slurping the Hawks last uh, couple days. Um, they're kind of the hot topic in the, the NBA blogosphere and on Twitter. I'm not a fan at all, man. I, like, look, this is you're making moves. Uh, you're getting guys like Bogey, Gallinari, guys, you know, Bogey's in his prime, you know, entering the downside of his prime. Actually, he's already 28. Um, so, or maybe look smack dab in his prime. Yeah. You're signing Gallinari. To a three-year contract, he's what thirty-two right now, up until thirty-five. These are like win-now type moves. Rondo, um, it's it's a glut of of vets, and onto a team that already has a lot of promising talent and needs to find minutes for that talent. Like they got Okongu, I love as a pick. I think um, you know they. We I think we talked about this last time. They have to figure out what John Collins is. I don't think he's the answer, and I think Okongu is a it's better to go towards a more defensive type project than Collins, who's a good scorer, but you know, kind of a tweener and and not much else besides offense. Right. Um, But this is the classic case for me of we're a team that's trying to just make the peripheral edge of the playoffs, a seventh or eighth seed to appease our fans, to make some noise and then a quick first round exit. But uh, I think it's going to compromise some of the other things they could have been doing with this roster. I, I, like, how are you going to get minutes for Bogey, Rondo, Trey? Those are all guys with high usage players. Bogey and Rondo need the ball in their hands. So does Trey. You got Chris Dunn as well. Um, I just don't see what's the point. Yeah, they're going to get the eight seed, but what's the future for this team? Like, what? Like, yeah, this is a core that you're locking yourself into for the next couple of years, and how you're not going to get much further than the eight seed. So. I'm not a huge yeah. So the the actually the example that I was reading that was that will resonate closely with you is when the Kings tried to do this signing Zach Randolph, George Hill, um, you know, a couple other guys, and it was like, okay, are we are we ready for those guys to be on our team yet, or do we still need some time developing as prospects? And there's a oh Vince Carter, and there's this immediate clash between. The vets who want to play and want to win versus the young guys who want to get their shine, get their reps versus the coaches versus the front office, everyone who's kind of marching to a different tune. Right. And it's very hard to kind of align between a lot of misaligned incentives. And if you look at if you look at this Hawks team. Right. So let's assume the starters are Trey Bogdanovich because they're not paying him 18 million to come off the bench. Uh and frankly, maybe Gallinardi, right? They're not paying him $20 million to come off the bench. Yep. Um, and then Collins and Capella. There's a lot of dudes on that bench now that played a lot, that started a exactly. lot, yep. that expect more. Um, 
And, you know, I think the biggest problem with the Hawks, though, aside from the fact that they have too many guys who expect to be on the court, is I don't know how good those guys are. I think that if your best player is Trey Young, and I and I love Trey, and I think he was unfairly dumped on as a second-year player who like put up mind-boggling numbers. And sure, they didn't win. Okay, he's like 20, 21 years old. Like a lot of guys at that stage don't win. Very few put up the numbers that he did. But when you think about his just total disregard of defense, not to mention his physical limitations, it's also an effort thing. When you think about his playing style, which is very similar to what he did at Oklahoma, right? He put up gaudy numbers, took all of the shots, basically had a team of like clown car, you know, clown car of teammates who just like rebounded for him and just like were on the other end of his like dimes, right? It's it's not winning basketball. And I and I struggle to say that because I don't know that I entirely believe that some players can be who produce, right? Like, I don't think of a guy like Zach Levine as a guy who could never be in a winning situation. I just think of him a guy who hasn't been in a winning situation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think Devin Booker is another example. This year, he's going to suddenly become in a winning. It's not like he changed as a player. He just got better players around him. So all that being said, I think there's some reservations I have at calling Trey out. But I also don't know that Trey is ready to be the dude on a team that needs to compete nightly. And I don't know that the guys that they brought in are going to instill that. Rondo is totally apathetic towards the regular season. He's going to be miserable there. Um, They're not playing for a championship. He just tried to cash out one last time. And Mm -hmm. so that's what I worry about is like, who's going to be the guy to step up and create a true culture, a a true tone in that locker room that's going to allow them to play differently than they have in the past. Um, and who's going to play defense? Like, look, I mean, yeah. look at that starting lineup you just listed. No one plays. I mean, Capella is a decent defender, I guess. But uh, Bogey is slow-footed, um, not much lateral quickness. You're putting him in a back uh, backcourt with Trey Young, who's a notoriously bad defender and undersized. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's like this, one plus, three minuses, and one triple minus is yeah, what you Yeah, and this team was already good on offense last year, and they were the – fourth worst defensive efficiency. So yeah, you're getting a lot of extra talent, but I don't know if it's really changing the um the dynamics yeah. of what this Hawks team can really be. It's lifting their ceiling by some, you know, five, ten wins maybe. They'll get an eight seed, but not much yeah, more. Yeah, and we that. don't really know what Lloyd Pierce is as as a coach, right? That's is true. he a guy that's like Brett Brown who was put there to shepherd along the youth, add some professionalism. By all accounts, he's a phenomenal dude. How good of a tactician is he? How good of a motivator is he? Um, and you know what situation it reminds me very similar, you know, a lot of is the Chicago Bulls a couple of years ago when they get Wendell Carter, they have Laurie Markkinen, they have Zach Levine, they have Chris Dunn, they have, you know, then they sign, they trade for Otto Porter, right? They signed Tomas Sadoransky. Yep. They got Denzel Valentine. It's like, okay, we got this mixture of young guys, like whatever, like expensive vets, all who play hard, all who play well, we're going to make this happen. And it totally fell apart. And yep. it's unfair to say that Gallinari is way more accomplished than Otto Porter, right? So it's unfair to draw that comp. But I still think that it's similar in that sometimes teams talk themselves into cores that are not ready yet or not the right core yet. And I'm actually higher than you are on John Collins. But John Collins has still never had a moment that matters in the NBA. Yeah. Neither has Trey Young. 
we have no clue how they're going to react when they're put in a situation where it's, you know, it's a hard fought game versus Toronto. You think Lowry and Van Vliet aren't going to kick their ass up and down the floor? Just, just the professionalism, just the way that they know how to win. I mean, it's going to happen. Um, the question is, how do you flip that switch? And I think, you know, I don't, think that it's they, these were necessarily bad signings. I think that you have cap space, and next year half the league is going to have cap space, so maybe you have to use that advantage when it comes. I think that they're expecting more than maybe what they're going to get in a, in the sense of immediate return. Yeah, I mean, th- that's my problem with it. It's not that the, you know these are bad signings. At the end of the day, it's the Hawks. Like We don't have to be you know um, really scrutinizing them because they're expected to be a championship team, and we're kind of, you know, they're not filling in the right holes, nothing like that. It's just that they're positioning this as an all-in move. Everyone's talking about it like this is an all-in move. Now they're going to be in the playoffs. You know, what great signings. I just – I think you're you're limiting your flexibility. You're taking away minutes for the young guys for what is – amounts to not that big of an increase in wins and a first-round flameout. And so is that worth it? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean – do you feel in general as a team building perspective, do you think that getting playoff experience matters or it doesn't? Or like, are you one that would go, you're either contending or you're, you should be like deep lottery. Like to me, I, I think it matters to Trey young to go play Milwaukee in round one. I think that would help him. You're, you're talking to me. I've gone 13, 14 years without the playoffs. And every year the Kings are just trying to make the eight seed. Like that's all they care about. With DeMarcus Cousins, we would always make these kinds of signings. Like one year, Bellinelli, Rondo, we traded. That was the infamous um, pick swap where we needed to clear up cap space. Yeah, the Nick Stauskas deal. Yeah, just to get some of these guys signed. Um, but my my problem with – so, I, I mean, I get it. I get they want to make the playoffs. They want a taste of that. But it's just when you have all this pretty promising talent, right? You have DeAndre Hunter. You have um, – Herder, you have Cam Reddish, you have Trey Young, yeah. you have John Collins. I think you got a lot to work with there. Um, and do you, you know, so you, the problem, yeah, the question is, like do you Bogey, need one but more? Gallagher? Right? But do you need anyone else? Because if you go for the playoffs, you're kind of saying this is the group. No, so I think they still need to figure out who their core is. I think they need another year of who are the guys you want to build around, who are the guys you don't want to build around. Find out who that core is and then start building around those guys, right? And I don't know if they know right now. Like I said, Collins, like I'm skeptical, but all those other guys are young. And I just think now you're kind of um, you're taking that opportunity away from them of just seeing who they really are in a win now move. And you're assuming that Trey Young and Collins are you know enough to piece together with these other guys on the fringes to get you somewhere. I don't think it's worth it, but. Yeah, well, I, I guess I, the question yeah. is. Does getting the eight seed help you figure out who your core is, right? Because when it's nut crunch time and, okay, maybe the playoff series won't be that competitive, but at least there's some heightened intensity to those games that you've never played in before. And yeah, I but if this is you. the core that gets you to that eight seed, like you're going to be playing Gallo, Bogey, Rondo, right? you know, Capella Trey and Trey Capella, in the playoffs. Yeah. Like your rotation's not consisting of those young guys. So it's not helping you make that decision. That's a good point. That's a good point because in the playoffs, the coaches always go to the vets. There's no chance they leave those dudes on the bench. Especially yeah, they're like, okay, they let's mean. give Cam Reddish 25 minutes now in, in game two because we, we <laughs> yeah. want to develop him in these high-intensity yeah. moments. That's not happening. Giannis might put his nuts on his face, but let's just do it to build his, <laughs> his 
his build, you know, build his yeah, like uh, not, confidence a little bit. It's not like two K my career mode. You're just trying to get your guy, you know. Um, um, no, that's, I think that's fair. I think so. If you if you had to look at like you know going through the East, right? If you think about the locks at the top, it's like Milwaukee, Miami, Boston. This isn't in order, by the way. Milwaukee, Miami, Boston, Brooklyn, assuming Durant's health, um, and then uh, Toronto, right? Toronto, Indiana. Philly, that's seven teams already. That's seven teams, now, yeah. Of those seven, you could argue maybe Indy drops a little, right? Like maybe Oladipo's not healthy, and I don't know. They brought back the same team. Indy and Toronto and are the biggest. And t- you don't Toronto, know which right? they like could they go the other sub way. Out of, right, they sub out Ibaka and Gasol, but they add Baines, another year of development for Ananobi and Siakam. So, uh, you know, another year of age for Lowry. So who knows, right? So seven teams right now are pretty comfortably playoff teams. Um. Even if you want to drop Indiana and Toronto, there's five mortal locks and three spots. Um, Of those three spots, you're going to give two to the two teams you just dropped. And then it's a collection of Atlanta, now Washington, right? Especially with this acquisition before there's question marks on Wall's health. Now at least you know what Russell Westbrook's going to be. Uh, Fuck, that still sounds so weird. Um, (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, I already saw the photoshops on Twitter today, and I started crying. (laughs) It was bad. Like the Rockets did one that welcomed him or something. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God. At least it's the same base color, like red. But uh, yeah, not seeing him in the red, white, and blue hurts. But okay, nonetheless, no more wall talk. Uh, Orlando, right? Though they don't have Jonathan Isaac. um, So who knows if they fall off. And then, look, Chicago and Charlotte, who we didn't even mention yet, Freaking four years, 120 million to Gordon Hayward. They're trying to compete too. <laughs> yeah. And if Chicago's going to get a bump from Billy Donovan over Jim Boylan, that's like a 10x upgrade. <laughs> so I, I guess there's something to play for beyond the eight because you can get to 10 for the play in tournament. And then who yeah. knows what happens. But uh, the East has gotten a little bit deeper um, than it has been in the years past, uh, both topside as well as these mid-tier teams. Well, more teams making win-now moves, I think. Um, and, yeah, look, it'll be interesting. I think, uh, like you said, Charlotte and even um, most of the other teams you said in the, the bottom there. Uh, uh, Chicago. Uh, Chicago, yeah. All those teams. Like, I, 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 I think Chicago's going to be pretty good. Um Charlotte's going to be solid. Detroit is also making a lot of weird moves that are, you know, keeping them competitive. So, well, what are they going to do with Blake? Right, that's the question for Detroit. Well, I'm assuming if they keep him at this point, like they're still going to be competitive, right? But I, I don't know if he'll, he'll get moved now. He was rumored for Wall at one point because that's a salary that would match. Um, and they that have was Derek the Rose. Like, rumor deal. I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. I, I, it'll be exciting. The Hawks will definitely be one of the more fun teams to watch. But this just reeks of like what the Kings have been trying to do for several years without really knowing what they have, and yeah. that always kind of backfires. Well, I actually told you right uh, one of our first pods that we did last summer when uh, the extensions for the 2016 rookies or uh, yep. 2015 rookies, I guess, for Healed, right? The the, the 94 million dollar extension that he signed or whatever it was. And I remember we talked about locking into the wrong core just because they're they are your core, right? Yeah. 
And we talked about how a Fox Max was coming, and of course that has now been signed. We talked about how a Bagley Max could be coming, and of course he had his second straight injury riddled season. So you know who knows what that is. I think they made a smart move walking away from Bogdanovich, even though they lost an asset for nothing that they could have traded at the deadline. I think that shows a prudence because it's kind of like, look, many GMs, many people, uh, basically fall victim to the sunk cost fallacy, right? Like we have these guys, we can pay these guys, we've invested in these guys, so we must keep them. But everything that you should do as a team should always be forward looking. And I think they did a really good job of now they've at least created a little bit more flexibility. Healed has trade value if they want to move him. And then you you figure out the new thing around Fox and Halliburton and Bagley. And I think that's the key. It's like, don't commit to the wrong guys just because they they are who you have on your team. Yeah, and then last year was our evaluation year. I, I thought we could get to the playoffs with that core. I called it, I believed in it, and it didn't work for a lot of reasons. Luke's a terrible coach. Buddy and, you know, took a step back in some ways. And, and you know, Bogey, he's a great player, but there's a lot – He's getting a little too much hype now. He has significant flaws as well. Yeah. Um, he's not, you know, by no means he's just this um, uh, all-star type talent. Uh, and so, yeah, it's you got to realize when it's not the right core and then quickly pivot. And so I'm, you know, in that sense, the Kings did the right thing. Why commit yourself to four? And some Kings fans are like, you know, four years, seventy-two for Bogey. Why not just do it? You could possibly trade him down the line. But why? Like, you already know the ceiling. He's not going to get much better. He's 28. He's going to be the same guy. This team is not getting much better. You might as well pivot and build around a different set of, of players. And so um, my point is the Hawks, like, let's say they make the eight seed this year. Yeah. Um, or, and they make, you know, they get a lot, they lose in the first round. What's the decision you do after that? You're committed to some of these guys. I guess, what, Rondo's a one-year deal, two-year deal? Two-year deals, yeah. Um, yeah, and then the second year, maybe you decide to blow it up, but then you just wasted two years of with, with some of these other guys on your roster. Like, I, I just don't think it's worth it for an East that's uh, really going to be really competitive. Right. Um, and you're not going to get higher than a seventh seed. Look, I think I think the reality is there's just not many guys in the league who can be the best player on a contender, right? There's maybe – and when I say contender, I don't mean like you have to win the title. So maybe let's say there's literally eight – eight to 10 guys in the whole league, right? That's why almost what you can't stop talking about the Luca for trade, trade enough. Yeah. Or, or the Kings passing or the Suns passing on, on Luca, because when a guy like that comes around, everything else becomes almost like basketball is a five player sport, right? So everything else becomes almost irrelevant. If you don't get that guy. Now, it's not like the Hawks can't build a contender around Trey, but the reality is, like you said, it's more likely to just be like a perpetual eight seed with this current roster. Because if you look ahead of them, who's going to suddenly decline, right? Unless Milwaukee loses Giannis, yeah. okay, that's one guy, you know, one team. Miami's there to stay with Hero, and even Butler's not super old, and other guys, you know, Embiid and Simmons are not old. Uh, Durant and Kyrie still have years left. So it's like one of those things where it's like, it's hard to start finding yourself getting to the top. Even yeah. Portland, who made it one year to the Western Conference Finals by pure fluke, their their ceiling is. I mean, I know they got Covington. I know they got Derek Jones. They have no chance at a title. Like, there's just no way. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, I would be shocked if they made the Western Conference Finals ever again with Dame Lillard. 
And I know that's an aggressive statement, but that's just the reality. So, you know, I guess all that's to say is it depends what your expectation is or what your goal is. Because in some some cities, in some markets, the goal is to just make the playoffs and be competitive and drive fan, you know, fan interest and have like a marquee guy to market. You know, it's not to say like I have to be a title contender every year because owners know there's two to five teams that are even in title contention on the annual basis. There's nothing wrong with that. Most casual fans want that. They're not the, I mean, obviously a lot of us are talking about tanking and everything, but I mean, look, when the Kings went for the eight seed last year and I wanted them to do it, right? You're, you're doing it with a core of Buddy, Fox, Bogey, Bagley. And the hope is, look, if they made the eight seed last year with that roster, guess what? Fox is only getting better. Bagley is only getting better. Buddy and Bogey, you know, maybe they could take a step forward. So there's a clear path upwards from that eight seed even. You can talk yourself into it. If this Hawks team makes the eighth seed, it's on the back of all these veterans and um, players who ultimately are not going to get better. They are who they are. And the guys you do want to get better are, like I said, are sitting on your bench. And so you're getting stuck in the eighth seed. I don't mind going for the eighth seed, but going for it just to get stuck there is a weird place to be. Yeah, I mean, the team will only go as – this is interesting to say, but the team can only go as far as – as Reddish and Hunter and Collins go. Yeah. Yep. And it's a really interesting way to think about free agency because unless you're a team of the stature of the Lakers, the Clippers, the Heat, the Celtics, like all the guy, all the usual suspects who sign the big names, you can't turn yourself from mediocre to title contender um, with free agency or even with trades in some regards. I'll take a team like Let's take a team like Utah, right? They bring in Mike Conley. They sign Boyan Boyan Bogdanovich. Those are the exact kind of signings that the Atlanta just pulled off, right? Like that level of player. But the team can't do anything if Gobert and Mitchell are not superstars. No. And ultimately, that's going to be your ceiling. Because if those other guys were superstars, they would never get out of the team that they're in unless they were forced traded. And then they're sure as hell not ending yeah. up in Utah or in Atlanta. Then yeah. they're Anthony Davis going straight to the Lakers and saying, get the fuck out every other team. I'm going to play with LeBron. And yeah. that's the reality. And that's how you have to approach like free agency should be seen as like, hey, here, here's a complimentary piece. But ultimately, our drafting is the only way to really create championship contenders, like which is what OKC did, which is what Indiana did with the Paul George team that made a couple conference finals, right? It's what San Antonio has obviously done for 25, 30 years. And that's the Denver. only real way. Look at Denver, Denver. Right. Jokic and Murray, right? Like once you get Jokic and Murray, then you go after the Millsaps and the, the fringe vets, right, to, to round on that team. And and so you're, what you said is spot on. Like you have to know that these are the guys. And Trey Young, he's a great player. Who's that second guy, or who's that third guy? I don't think you've really figured that out yet. And now you're making all these moves, and that's and you're problem. potentially crowding those guys out. Exactly. And, and Millsap's a perfect example, right? Because he was a three for ninety deal, which is a huge yeah. overpay. Yes, I know you can't get him to Denver unless you overpay, whatever. But that would that deal would have looked horrific. If Jokic and Murray didn't become stars. Yeah, no, exactly. It still relies on them taking the next leap. It's it's not yep. going to rely on Millstap saving them. So, um, Okay, let's bounce out west quickly because I wanted to talk to you about um, 
a couple teams out west. So the first uh, team, let's talk um, now that we know kind of what Phoenix has done. I know we revisit, we, we talked about them a little bit with the Chris Ball trade. Let's spend two minutes here talking about them. They added Jay Crowder. Um, they now have Paul Crowder, uh, you know, Booker, Mikael Bridges. They brought back Dario Sarge. They have DeAndre Aiden. They, of course, drafted Jalen Smith. They have Javon Carter. There's a lot of talent there, and I think it really fits well. You were kind of down on this team uh, a couple weeks ago post-Paul trade in terms of can this be a title contender. Now, I would agree with that is not their ceiling, but do you see this team as like a pro-rated 50, 55 wins, or is that too much too soon given Devin Booker's never won 35 games in his life? I think it's too much too soon. Um I look. I don't mind it on the on the surface. I, I think this. I, I think we're putting too much stock into the eight and zero in the bubble. Um, look, the bubble was weird. The bubble. This team is good, but they're still more like the thirty five, thirty win team in the regular season last year, or whatever they're projected to be on track for, mm-hmm. than they were the eight and zero team. I'd argue that they lean like if you right. have to pick which side to lean more. They're still that the team we saw over a larger sample size. And so, you know, you get Chris Paul, um, you get Jay Crowder, you lose Kelly Oubre, who's, you know, decent. Um, and once again, you're banking. It's, it's all being banked on Aiden. I think this team is going to go as if Aiden takes that next step forward, which he definitely could. Um, Chris Paul is a steadying presence and is more. I mean, Rubio was great for them last year. Um, I don't think he gets talked about enough how good he was for that that team and yeah. Devin Booker's efficiency and not having Booker not having to have to create for himself all the time. Chris yeah. Paul is only going to add more to that than what Rubio did. But um, I don't hate it. I don't love it. I just it's just mad to me because I think Chris Paul, the team swinging for Chris Paul, should be the ones really on the verge of of contending. I still don't see them topping. The seventh seed, max. So, yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll yeah. get you a playoff spot. It'll get you that excitement. Sure, for all those reasons, it's fine. I just, yeah. My only counter is if you look at what Chris Paul did in Oklahoma City last year, they got all the way up to number five. Now, granted, the Warriors were not in the mix, and you know the Warriors will have to see what they look like uh, without Clay Thompson. You know, but with Kelly Oubre, with a full season of Curry, Wiggins, Draymond, all those guys, James Wiseman. But if he could get that team to a five, don't you think the talent in Phoenix sans Chris Paul is better than what he had in uh, Oklahoma City? Because I definitely feel like Booker is, I mean, this isn't even a hot take. Obviously, Booker is the best player of either of those two teams, right? Removing Paul from the equation. And I would argue DeAndre Ayton might be second. You know, maybe it's SGA, but I think in terms of this upcoming year, DeAndre Ayton's ready to make a leap. Yeah, I, I think they're definitely close. Um, they've got a lot of talent. They definitely could. Um, Chris Paul, clearly the value he showed last year on that OKC team, um, it matters. He's not... He's not the superstar player he once was, but in terms of impact on a team, he still has it. Um, so, yeah, like I said, they'll, they'll top out at a seventh seed, though. Like, how much higher is this team going to go? Like, just name the teams they'll be better than in the West. So, okay, Clippers, Lakers, uh, MVP John Wall and the Rockets, <laughs> Nuggets, Mavericks. I'd still take the Jazz. Jazz, Warriors, Blazers. 
I it's mean, still a crowded field. I mean, the Blazers made moves, right? I was kind of hating on them a little bit, but they addressed their biggest weakness, which is the lack of wing depth. Um, question is Mavericks. I don't. I mean, I don't. What did the Mavericks do, right? Like they traded for Josh Richardson. Josh Richardson. They drafted Tyrell Terry and another dude who seems to be based on Kevin O'Connor, like circle jerking on his podcast. He seemed to be happy with the Mavericks output. <laughs> and then, but then they have a huge question mark with Porzingis, right? Like when's he coming back? I don't know. And yeah. Luca is going to take a step forward, but in a way, yes, Luca can improve shooting. He can improve. And I think you actually talked about this. He can improve defense. How much better can Luca be? He was first team All NBA as a 21 year old. He was fourth yeah. in MVP, and he averaged like a 39 and nine or something, 29 nine and 10 yeah. or something. What else can he do for that team? I don't know. Um, so they're, yeah. they're positioning themselves for 2021. Uh, yes. Yeah. So yeah, um, I think I, I really do believe Cuban thinks he can get Giannis, um, and that's you know that's kind of the plan. You can't bank on it, but like that, there's, I mean, the free agency class next year is yeah. stacked, right? So, um, don't you think it's interesting, by the way, that Dallas has been positioning itself for every marquee free agent for the last 15 years? <laughs> no joke. Getting yeah. a running mate first with Nowitzki and now with Luca, and they've struck out every single time. Yep. Every time. The only guys they've gotten are. Chandler Parsons. Oh, no, he left. He went from Dallas to Houston, right? Or I can't remember yeah. which way he went. And then us washed up DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. And I'm very confused because Dallas, by all accounts, is a, you know, if you, I don't know if you've been to Dallas, but it's boring as shit, frankly. Yeah. It's just like a huge suburb, uh, collection of suburbs, respectfully. But great weather, no taxes, you know, great owner, great facility now you're playing next to a generational superstar you would think this would all add up but it they had the exact same scenario with Nowitzki and it never worked I'm very confused by why that's the case is it just that uh, Dallas yeah, is Dallas really not is... that tight no I don't I think people put too much stock in all those things um it it is funny because they're touted as a great place to go for all those reasons you mentioned, and then it never pans out. But I, I don't think that means it's going to prevent them from getting someone in twenty twenty one. I think Luca is a generational talent, um, more so than not more so than Nowitzki, but there's promise there that so early that there will be players who want to go play there. Yeah, um, he's going to be better than Nowitzki when it's but, all said and done. So so back to the Suns, right? Like, yeah. I said he's going to be better than Nowitzki when it's all said and done. Well, I mean, you never know, right? He's on the pa- he's on pace for that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I, I don't even know how he got in Dallas. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, who is going to be better than Phoenix? Yeah, yeah. So you're topping up. So here's the one good thing Chris Paul can bring. Like, if it really is, look, you got a lot of young guys. You need some. Chris Paul is going to come. He's clearly showed. A young OKC team. They had vets, but they also had, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander, a um, couple of the young guys. And, and Chris Paul was really a good steadying presence for all them. And maybe he'll do the same for Booker, for Aiden, uh, right? Aiden's going to get the easiest kind of you know, post touches. Um, and so even if Chris Paul is only an eight seed max for a couple of years, it might be good for the development of this team. I can kind of buy into that narrative a little bit. It's an expensive kind of mentorship, but. You get the added bonus of being in the playoffs, making a little bit of excitement. That's why I'm okay with it. Um, 
but I, I think no one should be crowning these Suns yet because there's no path for them above the seventh seed. Like right now, as as teams are constructed, they will not be higher than the seventh seed. So, so in the over under you know, pod, I haven't even seen where they are over under wise. But in the over under pod, we're gonna do Eastern Conference next week, Western Conference week after. You're gonna take the under on Phoenix. You think? I'm gonna look well, at it I right see. now. I want to see. I want to see how how hyped they are, right? Because if you look at the over-unders and you sort the Western teams by their predicted record and then the, the Suns are a four seed, then hell yeah, I'm going to take the under, right? So I have to see how that shakes out. All right, I'm about to tell you right now. And in the meantime, think of the next team you want to talk about. It's we can what, talk about 40, one more. 45. Well, so they're at 38.5, but you have to remember that's out of 72 games. Uh, how do you man. do uh, division? <laughs> <laughs> Which, how should I get to the 40, 82 game win total? 38 divided by 72 times 82? Yeah. That's 44 wins. And what did you just say? 45? I guess 45, yeah. Okay, so that's pretty good. So you would take the slight over? No, no, I said the line would be 45. Oh, what would you go with? Um... So right now I don't. Uh, yeah, I would go the slight. You're right. I'd go slight over maybe. It's too close. I'd need it to be one or two wins away from what I. If it was 46, 47, I'd go under. But 44, it's. See, you have to seed. You have to look at all the the West teams and their over unders, and then seed them and see where Phoenix fits. All Only right. Then well, you can see. I'll tell you, they are listed as the seventh. The seventh team. Yeah. But Golden State is listed as eighth, and New Orleans is ninth, and Houston is tenth. The disrespect <laughs> for the Great Wall of, of D.C., now the Great Wall of Houston. Yeah. The, there might be some value in the Houston over. Well, we're, we're giving away our, our over-under pods. Yeah, I don't want to get into that. this yet. Do you have any other teams that have stood out to you that you want to talk about? Should we talk Battle of L.A. and what those teams did? Anything else that stands out? The Miami rebuild, the, the right, Miami's running it back, and what what's what else has st- stood out as far as an offseason storyline? You know, some quick quick hitters. I liked what Miami did. Um, you know, with with the Drogage deal, they still have the flexibility needed to go after Giannis. They also added Bradley and AB and Mo Harkless, which is sneaky depth for them. And you know, a team that always kind of relies on those switchable wings. I think those are good pickups. Um, the Lakers obviously Gasol like it's it's just an embarrassment of riches for the Lakers. Um, Gasol and West Matthews are kind of cooked at this point. You know, Gasol, especially towards the end of last season, was not great. But situationally, you you can throw him in against Jokic. He's a he's smart and he's a great passer. You know, you can throw him in five ten minutes in critical situations. He'll be fine. He's not going to move the needle that much, but. Um, but I, you gotta understand ask, these guys yeah. are gonna look way better playing with LeBron and Davis. Yeah. With LeBron and Davis, with that spacing, it's gonna be, and he's not gonna be forced to like towards the end in Toronto. He was asked to do a lot more offensively, and he was jacking up threes, and that's not his game. I think he'll be able to settle in more in, in LA. I want, I'm the one thing I want to say about the Lakers is they've had as good of an offseason as you can have. <laughs> You've actually shipped off all the riffraff, as in Rondo, Dwight. McGee guys that they did well last year, but I would not count on to do well again. 
brought in a lot of Danny Green players. struggled. Danny Green struggled, right? Um, brought in a lot of quality players, and and now I'm wondering, like, like okay, so if I said Lakers win, you know, over under 1.5 more titles in the next five years, would you go over? or Would you go under? I would go under only because, as we saw from the fact that as great as LeBron was, he only won three titles in seven in sixteen seasons. So to say he's going to win three, right? Because it's you're saying over under would be two more plus the one they just won. You're saying he's going to win three total in the next six in six years. It's just implausible. Yeah. But if you said over under half a title in the next three years, like short in the range, I think I go over because I don't see which team right now is better than this one. And I don't think it's the Clippers. So, so that's the thing. I'd go under on one and a half as well. Uh, it's just too hard to win multiple titles. There's just too many variables. We saw with the Warriors and KD, like as great as that team won, was. Yeah, they you won thought they were going to win five straight. They won two. Yeah. So, uh, but th- like, like you just said, no team in the West really materially changed. Um, the Clippers got a Baca. Fine, they may be frisky, but outside of that, and then who in the East has materially changed? The Bucks haven't made enough moves. Um, the Nets potentially, if they got hardened, but I don't think Kyrie and that team as and KDA is constructed is going to contend with Lakers. So yeah. barring health, I think these next two years you got a good shot at it. Um, yeah. So the you're right. They team... go, it's hard to go two for two, but it's definitely in the realm of possibility, which is crazy to think about because I never thought of this as a dynasty. When when AD and LeBron went there, I was like, oh, they're going to get a title at some point, yeah. but. It felt like more hard Three, guns, yeah. and now all of a sudden, and a lot of this look—it's—it's it's LeBron's just, just fucking unmatched, sustained greatness, right? Like this wouldn't work in any other situation where you're counting on a year eighteen player to be like the focal point of one to two more titles. But that's just who LeBron is. By the way, did you see that he signed that extension today? And now he's actually lined up to end his time with the Lakers exactly as when Bronny could enter the NBA. If the, you know, if the NBA gets rid of their one and done rule, which they're expected to in the next CBA, suddenly LeBron James and LeBron James Jr. could find themselves on the same roster. Oh, oh my God. Go back to our, one of our early pods from last year. I've been talking about this for a long time. I've been saying, yeah, you and everyone else, he's going to re up and he's going (laughs) to do Right up until Bronny's able to join, and then he's going to sign wherever Bronny gets drafted. Um, and and that's that's the scenario where I'm hoping the Kings are bad in 2023. In that draft, we get Bronny, we get LeBron, and it's it just makes me the happiest person ever. So that that's what I'm holding out hope for. We need to be bad in 2023. But it, okay, so I saw a very good, uh, a really good question on Twitter, right? Which is right now LeBron James Jr. Like Bronny is not considered a top tier NBA prospect. Like he's super young. He just finished his freshman year. So let's you know hold the horses on evaluating his entire life. But let's assume that he comes into the NBA and he's uh, what? And you know, as a team, that if you draft him, you get LeBron. Right, and you have the number one pick. Where would Bronny need to be on your big board to take him at one for a thirty-nine or forty-year-old LeBron to come with? Top six. Okay, all right, that's reasonable. 
there's people saying as long as he's in the supposed to be drafted in the first round, I'd take it. No, no, you can't sell your if he's <laughs> if he's like projected to be the twenty fifth pick and you take him at number one. It's like um, Bruno Caboclo is gonna be the that's basically what you've done. Cause you know, like halfway through that season too, like you know, Bronny's playing in, I don't know, Indiana, and LeBron's going to – he'll yeah. sign there, and then they're going to find their way out halfway through the season, and you're going to be left with nothing. Oh, I thought you were going to say LeBron, uh, Bronny's in the G League playing for, like, the <laughs> – The Wayne Sioux, An- Fort yeah. Wayne answer. <laughs> yeah, the Mad Ants. He's, like, leading scorer and rebounder for the Mad Ants, and LeBron's pissed playing for fucking, you know, Detroit Pistons. Uh, yeah. No, but um, I, I'm excited for that. I'm, uh, I mean, because think about it, getting LeBron. So this is the, like what Brady came to the Bucks. Um, there's a reason teams will do it, right? Like getting LeBron means ticket sales, Jersey sales, nationally te- televised games. Like you're getting so much bang out of that pick. Yeah. Um, and it's Bronny who's already a celebrity in his own right in terms of, you know, he's people have been following him for a long time now. Like that becomes a no brainer. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, honestly, I would tell you that after, you know, he's got two years left plus a two-year extension. After four years, the likelihood of – or three years, whatever, I guess he tacked on. The likelihood of LeBron being at this level is very, very low. But I'm I'm done kind of predicting what LeBron is and isn't going to be year after year. I'll just let him do it first before – it's almost like Brady – uh, and, and I'm sorry to say, because it's the yeah. first year he's on your team, but this might be the year he actually is cooked. Um, I'll just let <laughs> it happen before we make any type of predictions. Um, but all right. Anything else to conclude with? Or we'll always remember this as the John Wall Memorial episode. My guy. That's my dude. Um, I know. Now you can go. I know what you're going to do. It's it's 1135 for you, but. You're going to be on YouTube watching highlight videos with a box of tissues and a pint of ice cream just balling. It's going to be like the worst breakup of all time, but I can't <laughs> tell them how I feel. The The funny thing is um, somebody once, you know, I ran into somebody, you know, every time that I'm with people, I feel like the podcast comes up. I just like subtly bring it up. I like do the round of fun facts, even though no one asked. And then I say, hey, I have this podcast. And someone was like, hey, like, I'm a big NBA fan. Like, if there's one episode, what should I listen to, right? You know, just like, I don't know, get me on it. And I was asked that a couple weeks ago. I went with the the 2008 Dime Machine, which which then I had to explain (laughs) what the fuck a Dime Machine was. But now I might just start going with this one. This is where I pour my soul out, where you talk me off the ledge. And uh, this shows what we're about over here. And the funny thing is, it's not like John Wall's dead, but we're pretty yeah. much like doing a memorial episode on his career and what could have been. And uh... yeah, um, hey, but look, CP3 has had a really nice late career resurgence. Um, he is obviously a much better player than Wall ever was. So, but in the sense of at one point he was traded for picks, and a year later he was sorry he was traded with picks. A year later he was traded for picks. I expect something, and I'm hopeful for something similar for Wall, just because I want to see him flourish in this league again. I have hope for that. I'm rooting for that. Um, I think it can happen. So, All right. So that's it for us. Uh, just a couple more weeks until the season is basically in full swing again. Uh, the Christmas Day lineup was announced today. It's going to be awesome, as is 
this very um, you know intense, crazy, chaotic season that we're about to have. I think 50 players tested positive for coronavirus on the first wave. So who knows what the hell is going to happen this upcoming season? But you know we're back and uh, ready to bring it to you with uh, with all of our analysis and all of our tidbits. So please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin on all major plot podcast platforms. Please email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com, and we will talk to you next week.